Anybody like your, your personal space? Hey, I'm the guy that gets on the plane before the plane door opens because I want, not quite literally, but I want to be there. My wife's the one that waits until the last call, and even at that point, that's when she decides to get up and do whatever she needs to do. i got to be in the plane before anybody else because I need my space, and I need to settle, and I need to be situated so I don't be messed with. Well, so here I am now. I'm a pastor at a church, and I always seem to mess with people. Quite ironic, isn't it? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I give you permission. Mess with me a little bit. God is good. And I'm going to tell you what. We serve a good dad. And I, I, before we go any further, I know that there's the worship song out there, Good, Good Father. I know that there is a, a real move of a focus on uh, the fatherhood of, of God and, and his love for us. And all that is so real. But even before the song was written, he was a good, good father. Even before we had people preaching it, it seems like more lately, he's a good, good father. And we serve a good, good Savior, an awesome Lord, and we are filled with a good, good Spirit who brings transformation. Amen? Okay, it's October 2nd. Can you believe it? What happened? It flew by. But here we are today. Last week, uh, we were talking uh, about salvation. More specifically, using that very uh, 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 um, oh, formal term of justification before God. And justification simply says this. God looked down upon you and said, there is no way, there is no hope for this individual. And so in spite of the fact that we deserve death and we deserve hell, he says, no, I love them. I choose to see them come back into fellowship with me. So he sent his only son, his perfect son. His name was, sent his only son, his perfect son, Jesus. Sent him to earth to live and to die. To bring victory over death. But most importantly, to take on the weight of our sin. A way that we have no clue. You remember last week we said, uh, oftentimes we get focused on the crucifixion. Being the suffering Jesus went through. Folks, that was the easy part. Being crucified to a tree was the easy part. It's what he had to bear. What did he have to bear? Our sin. And even that point, we're like, well, okay, no, we don't have a clue. None of us sitting here today have a clue what it was to even bear the sin of one other person, much less the, the sin of the world. At which point he cried out, my father, why have you forsaken me? And folks, I can guarantee you, when he cried out from the tree, it wasn't like we see in the movies sometimes where it was just very, why have you forsaken me? He cried out because he was in anguish. He had never been separated from his father before. Much less felt his father's wrath. Which really was due for Willie, or for Peggy, or for Jason. And he took it upon himself. And the crazy thing is, he takes that upon himself, then goes to the grave, rises again. Everybody say, rises again. Are you excited about that? Rises again three days later. Rises again, praise be to God, victorious over death. Here is the only perfect being that ever lived on earth. He is the only one that is viewed as righteous. He took upon himself our sin, and then he takes his righteousness and does what? 
puts it in us so that when God the Father looks upon us, He sees righteousness. He sees perfection. You mean there's nothing that I can do to earn perfect, be perfect enough? Hey, if you thought you could, I'm breaking it to you now. No. Failures of the world unite. We can't do it. But praise be to God, He did. And I said last week, I said, God, when He looks at you, He is not looking at what you can't do. He's looking at what He's done. And is doing it. Amen? Amen? Hey, look at your brothers just say amen, because you need to make sure people are awake here today. <laughs> amen. God is so awesome. He did that for us. He justified us. When we did not deserve it, He justified us before the Father. Made it possible for us to experience heaven. That's a portion of the gospel, but that's not the whole gospel. See, the gospel is far more encompassing than that. But oftentimes we stop right in hell with our get out of jail or get out of hell card. Our fire insurance, as they used to call it. It doesn't stop at your fire insurance print papers. So we've been saved. Now what? He's justified us. What does he expect from us now? Well, I'm going to read two verses, and then we're going to jump on this. First John chapter 2 says this, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk the same way he walked. Yeah, I'm going to say it again because I don't want anybody to miss that. But I'll just put it in Dave Chapel paraphrase. If you say that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, you should smell, look like, act, and be like who? Wow, what happened to justification where I didn't have to do anything but have faith? Now i got to look like, smell like, act like, be like Him? How does that work? Then the scripture goes on to say, 1 Peter 1.16, For it is written, Be holy as I am holy. That's a command. But the question is, has anybody attempted to be holy? <laughs> Go ahead, wives, ask your husbands. Just how holy do you think you are? Husbands, ask your wives. Friends, ask each other. Just how holy do you think you are? Has anybody failed at being holy? Okay, about 12 people. Wow, the rest of you, I need you up here. Come on, who has failed at being holy? Who has failed at being like Jesus? Yes. In our own strength, we have failed. But how do we do this? Because this is what we're called to. We've been saved, now what? How do we do this? <laughs> anybody in here ever had a bad habit? Oh, Lane laughed first, so he's like, yeah. Isn't it funny? Everybody just laughs at their habits. <laughs> Bad habits. I mean, they abound. What are they? They could come in addictions. They could be substances. They could just be, you pick your nose. It could be anything. Just a bad habit. But they're ingrained, deeply ingrained. And has anybody really tried to quit a bad habit? Now, I know for some of us, it may be we can call it willpower, we can call it whatever, but, but, but for many of us, when we try to quit a bad habit, how successful are we really? 
And here's my second question. How often are we able to divert from that bad habit only to pick up another bad habit? Amen? See, they're ingrained in there, and, and yet the Lord's saying, be holy as I'm holy. Be like Jesus. Look like Jesus. Smell like Jesus. Act like Jesus. What? What? I'm just learning how to brush my teeth every morning. What? So what do we do when we run into these things? He said, I'm moving kind of quick today. I could, I could spend six months on this. I'm going to cover just a summary today. What are the solutions that we end up trying to do? Well, let's just take a straw poll. As I say one of these, just raise your hand if you've ever done this. You've got this issue in your life. You've got sin in your life. Everybody say sin. And remember, sin is a capital S word. It's that serious. But sometimes we allow it to get more of our attention than we need it to. It's kind of unusual. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But what we have to sin in our life, what do we do? Lord, I don't want this in my life, but I keep falling back into it. So how many try harder? How many follow the rules? I just follow the rules. Do it this way, do it that way. We go to counseling. We take control of our lives. We unleash the giant within. We man up. We get a grip. We take the bull by the horns. Blah, 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 blah. Every cliche, right? Now remember, I'm not dismissing any one of those things. But outside of Christ, as we're going to see, they will not bring complete and utter healing and transformation to you. You understand that? Outside of Christ. Because what happens is these remedies ask us to be strong. When the Word tells us we need to walk in what? Weakness. Who heard this? How many try to be strong? Be strong for your family. Be strong for your friends. Be strong for this. Be strong for that. You don't have any strength in you. And even if you did, it's not the kind of strength the Lord has called you to. Oh, who hears that? Come on. The Lord doesn't want you walking in your own strength. The stronger we act like, the stronger we get, the more we mess up. The more sin we engage in. What? Yes. Because the more we try to tackle sin and get sin as our focus, guess what our focus is? Sin. And we get enticed by it. It, it really is not much different than the mother telling the child not to touch the top of the stove because it's what? And that child's in there, I really should listen to my mother. I really should listen, but it's interesting. Colossians chapter two, Paul says says rules like this. They're basically mere human teachings. This is Colossians two twenty two and twenty three. For food is made to be eaten, used up, and what they're talking about is don't taste, don't taste, don't touch. Rules like that. He said these rules may seem good, for rules of this require strong devotion and are humiliating and hard on the body. But guess what? They have no effect when it comes to conquering. Now here's our issue. When it comes to conquering a person's inner sinful thoughts and desires. Anybody ever been on a diet before? I'm only going to speak what I know the best. Diets. 
how many people have bought, purposely bought less food so that your refrigerator would not have as much fat and stuff in it so you wouldn't be tempted to get a hold of it? Anybody ever done that? Okay. How many of you guys get on a particular diet plan that, that tells you what kind of foods to eat and that's it? And you cannot swing from one side of it or, or, or the other. And as long as you stay on this path, uh, you're bound to lose weight. There's one problem in each of these situations. We could go on and on and on. As long as those are laid out on either side of us, it's great. But it never changes the real issue inside of us. Why do we overeat? Folks, I, I don't overeat because of what's... Uh, we have too much fattening stuff in my refrigerator. If all we had were sweet peppers and hot sauce, I would eat too many sweet peppers and hot sauce. Okay? If I had all the health food in the world, I would still overeat it. The issue is not how it's done, it's what's going on inside, why you're doing it. And see, rules and following rules and trying to do it the right way or putting your own strength into it you never, that might look good, you might get down to the heart of it, or, or get down to making it look pretty good on the outside for a while, but on the inside, nothing's changing. You're still struggling with it. How do you know? Because that person is still focused. I know a, a relative of mine struggles so heavily growing up, being overweight, lost a lot of weight, still stays very thin, but this person's whole life is still focused on what she eats, and staying healthy. It still controls her. You would look at her and say, oh, she does great. It still controls her. You follow what I'm saying? Never got to the heart of the issue. Never got to what's going on inside. And that's why these rules do nothing. So what do we do about once we're saved? How do we get into this thing of looking like Jesus and being holy? How does that happen? How in the world? The, the, the formal term is sanctification. Being made holy, set apart. Let me tell you about my favorite, my very first memory in my favorite amusement park ride. I won't talk about the fact that my dad put me on the Grizzly at King's Minion at the age of eight and thought it would be fun. It took me eight years after that to actually ride a roller coaster again. But he's not here. I'll razz him about it later. My first thought was also, uh, my first experience at an amusement park was also my first time behind the wheel. How many have ever done the antique cars? Oh, come on. The antique cars. And the beautiful thing about a kid, you're not even thinking about where you're going. You're just cruising along. Father's sitting there just looking around. Mother's having a heart attack in the back seat. Well, you're just cruising along, and how come you stay on the path? Because what's running right down the middle at some places or on uh, either side of you at other places, but what's running down the middle? There's a guardrail, in it? Keeps you on the path. Is it really, and it was amazing. I loved it. I used to want to do the anti-carts. Even though after the second or third time around, I was really bored and wanted to do something else, every time I'd go back, I wanted to do it again. Okay? But as I got older, I realized, wow. There's no real purpose to this thing. You get in the car, you hit the pedal, you don't even really get to do the driving. 
And I remember as a preteen, some of the guys, we used to joke, what would it, I wonder what it would take to jerk the wheel just enough to get it over that guardrail. Of course, at that point, when you're a preteen or a teenager, you're not thinking about the fact that the fence is like 10 feet away and you're going to hit the fence. But still, the sheer fact that it got over the guardrail. Hey, there was no purpose to the thing ultimately. And before you knew it, you were starting to f- try to figure out ways how to get off the path. Right? <laughs> oh, Dwayne has no clue. Dwayne would just cruise hour after hour on the antique cars. Well, see, the guardrails were there to keep you on the path. But here's the thing. And everybody listen to this. It did not mean that it was really teaching me how to drive. Nor did it even give me a desire to drive. Learn how to drive the rules of driving out on the main real roads. No, it just gave me that little experience of power that I got to turn the wheel and push the pedal. But it didn't te- teach me anything. Okay? Now, well, we're going to dive into just real quick. Here's the issue. There was a guardrail that was put up for us before Christ. It was called the law. Everybody say the law. It was put in place like a guardrail to keep you on track. Galatians 3 says this, With the result that the law has become our tutor and our disciplinarian to guide us to Christ so that we may be justified and placed in right standing with God by faith. But what we find out is this, For what the law, this is Romans 8, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. Those guardrails were only going to keep you on that path for so long because we have this thing in us called a what? A will. We are going to do what we want to do. We got a bunch of perfect people in here? We're going to do what we want to do. And eventually, like me sitting in that antique car, how hard could I jerk that wheel just to get it over the guardrail? Right? And so what happens is this. They put the law in place. God put the law in place to keep us on the path, but that did not keep us from staying, wanting to stay on the path because it didn't deal with what was going on inside of here. It didn't teach us what it was to really walk the path. It just kept us on the path until we decided we didn't want to be on the path anymore. And we'd jump out one way or jump out the other way. Fighting our way off the path. Who's with me right now? And here's the thing. You say, why do we do that? When God said, don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. I want you to think about it. My wife brought it up the other day. Think of the rich young ruler. He walked up and said, I kept all the laws. What is it going to take for me to get to heaven? Now, if my memory serves me correctly, the first one was, Thou shalt not have any gods before me. That was the very first commandment. He stood there and said, I've kept all the commandments. So Jesus, in his totally awesome way, just hits it. He says, okay, here's what I need you to do. That's great. I want you to take all your money, because he was rich. I want you to take all your money and give it to the poor, and then you'll be set. Does anybody remember the story? Young ruler turned around, face down, walked away. Because guess what? I believe Jesus made it clear he already broke he had already broken the first rule. You have a God before me. And its name is what? Money. 
you know, we find ourselves so wanting to be able to check off a list to say, hey, I'm good. We like this merit system, you know. If you do good, you check off your list, you receive a reward. They do it a lot in behavioral therapy. They do it in schools. They do it all over the place. You do this, then you get this. You do this, and you get this. You do this, and you get this. And here's the problem. We, a lot of us thrive and want that merit system, but then we also, in our weird human way, rebel against it. We fight it. Just how far can I push this thing? Was anybody as a teenager one who pushed the envelope as far as you could without getting in trouble? I know there were those of you who just said, I don't care about trouble, I'm going. But those of you who just pushed to the end, you know who you are. We just, we, 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 within us, we need this checkoff system of to do, to do, to do, and, and yet we fight against it as well. But then we find this out. It is by grace. Everyone say grace. Look at your neighbor and say grace. Look at your other neighbor and say grace. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. How are you saved? By what? Does it just stop there then? No. You've been saved by grace, but then He desires, no, more than, He has called us to then be set apart, be holy, be sanctified. How? How? How do we do this? We've tried everything. We try to do the right thing. We try to stay on the path. And yet inevitably we go do this and sin this way and go that way and mess up. And nothing's keeping us on path. Nothing's keeping our focus. Nothing. And all I can think about is how wrong I am. To the point that most of us just give up. Why is it such a struggle for Christians? Because we hit walls and decide it's too hard to go on. When in actuality, we never really understood in the first place what he's called us to in order to live this thing called the Christian life, the Christian walk. Let me say what grace is. You guys ready for this? Grace, of course, is not getting what you deserve. How many here deserved blessing? How many here deserved heaven? How many deserve God's favor? None of us. But how many of us, through faith in Christ Jesus, have access to it all? Okay, so that's grace. But I want you guys to understand something. Who's with me? In just a few more minutes. Who's with me here? Grace is really not a substance or an object, okay? You've got to understand this. Grace is not a substance that God just says, here's my grace, put it in lane. Or here's my grace like oil, pour it over Dwayne. Grace is not a substance. It's not this tangible thing. What it is is an attitude. It's an attitude of the person. It is an attitude by which we look at, and God's grace is, as Rosa said, is God. That is God. It is an attitude, folks. What you deserved, you didn't receive. But it was received by another. And then he gave his own righteousness to you. That's the gospel. And it goes beyond just saving us. Listen to this, folks. Titus chapter 2. Everyone turn very quickly to Titus chapter 2. 
This is something I need you to hear today and grab hold of today. Titus chapter 2, verse 12. Titus chapter 2. Actually, we're going to back up just a hair, and we are actually going to go. Titus chapter 2, and we will start, let's start here at um, verse 11. When you get there, let me hear you say amen here. Okay, here we go. For the grace, everybody say grace. The grace of God, His attitude towards you has appeared that offers salvation to who? All people. Amen. It teaches us. What teaches us? Grace. It teaches us to say what? No to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. Folks, now we're going to unpack this just for a few minutes, but folks, listen to me. No checklist, no amount of rules, no amount of laws, any of that is going to truly get to the heart of the matter and help you say no to sin. Did you hear that? No amount of anything that you try to do, take control, be, try harder, be a better Christian, no, not, none of it's going to truly get to the heart of the matter and bring you to a point of looking, smelling, tasting, all those things, Jesus, and, 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 and being holy. Now, how does it all work? What does it look like? Well, I'm not going to act like I know how it all works, but what we are going to do is get into this. It says it teaches us. How does His grace teach us? Well, His grace is His attitude towards us. Now, I'm going to ask very simply, Dwayne, only because you're sitting here, What was God's attitude towards you as He called you to salvation? Grace. But what? how did He view you at that point? That He wanted to want. To know, to get to know, to love, to pour out over His blessing, His favor. Correct? That was how He viewed Dwayne. With an attitude of grace. Does that attitude of grace suddenly shut off after we say yes to Him? Absolutely not. That attitude of grace continues. So that as we begin to walk out this Christian walk, and we fall, anybody falled as a Christian, fell as a Christian? Failed as a Christian? When we fail, we can do one of two things. We can say, that's it, I quit, I can't do this, I've tried too hard. Anybody that's found that? Sound familiar there? I've tried so hard, I can't, and God's just going to be flat out mad at me anyways, disappointed. And so what we do to protect ourselves, some people go so far the other direction by just saying God doesn't exist. Or it wasn't real anyways. But then we have another option. God, I failed. Thank you for your attitude towards me right now. Uh, just a couple people caught that. I failed, God. Hear me. I failed. I sinned terrible. Capital S. Does God like sin? Does He want us to keep on sinning? No. I mean, Romans 6 is very clear. Should we keep on sinning so that grace abounds? Paul says, no. By no means, no. But he's talking about us who... We're walking along and we just, oh, that was so stupid. Why did I do that? Anybody said that before? 
And if we would take a moment and say, but what is God? No. God, thank you for your attitude towards me right now. It's one of grace. It's not saying, oh, that was terrible what you did. How many feel like God does that? Oh, come on. How many feel like God does that? It's terrible. Now, is there a chance God could experience disappointment over some things that we do? Sure. But what parent doesn't? And still has all the love in the world for you. But see, God doesn't want us focused on his disappointment. God wants us to recognize his attitude towards us. And it is an attitude of what? Oh, I think about three people have gotten it. It's an attitude of what? I have failed, God. Thank you for your attitude towards me. I'm going to get back up. I'm not going to wallow in this mud puddle. I'm not going to hate myself. I'm not going to ultimately be angry and hate you. I'm not. It's so wrong. God, thank you for your attitude towards me. And thank you that you love me. Thank you for helping stand me back up and placing me back on the path. Folks, I'm going to tell you what. Suddenly this path, unlike the antique cars, has purpose. And what is that purpose? That there's only one who really shows me any grace at all. And there's only one who has the best in mind for me at all. And there's only one who has chosen to give himself, give his son, for my own being brought back into reconciliation. Folks, I want you to hear me, and I'm about done here. I want you to hear me. It has always been and always will be about the fact that God wants to know who. And he wants you to know who. And I'm not talking book knowledge. Read your Bibles till you're blue in the face unless you are walking and understanding align the Spirit and, and, and understanding God's attitude towards you in this. That's just going to be book knowledge. But pretty soon we realize we don't need the law. We don't need guardrails to keep us off the path because guess what? It's His attitude of grace that's keeping us on the path. Oh, who heard that? It's keeping us right here on this path. Now, again, I'm not giving you license to go out and sin, but then again, who needs a license to sin? It comes natural. God, bring me back up on this. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord. I don't have to hate myself right now for what I did. But I'm walking in the fact that in in continued uh, repentance and forgiveness, here I am. You are lifting me up, and I'm walking in your grace is sufficient. The same grace that saved you is the same grace that leads you. Did anybody get that? The same grace that saves you is the same grace that will lead you. Somebody needed to hear that today. I needed to hear that. And I'm saying that. Somebody needed to hear that today. The same grace that saves you will lead you. It doesn't like suddenly change from, oh, I'm saved, now I've got to move over into this whole earning God's happiness. No. What's the old cliche, happy wife, happy life? Just joking. You can deal with your wife later, Dwayne. <laughs> it's not about keeping God happy. Because there's nothing we can do to keep him happy. 
other than have faith and trust in His praise for us. Oh, come on! Thank you. There's not one of you sitting here today who has committed such a horrendous sin. Now, will you? are the things that the world ultimately will come through? Yes. But I'm talking about believers who are not desiring to live a life of sin. You follow me? I'm talking about believers who have chosen to, to, to begin being drawn by the Lord, being drawn and being moved, the Holy Spirit moving in. I am not going to live a life of sin. I am not going to live a life, oh, I just fell, I just failed. It's horrible. I can't believe I did it. Thank you, God, for your attitude towards me. Thank you. I'm going to tell you what, if God didn't have an attitude of grace towards us, we would all be in a world of hurting. Suddenly there becomes purpose for our journey. You know what that purpose is? God, the Father, Jesus, our Savior, the Spirit moving in us. It's always been, know Him and be known. What is His attitude towards us? How does He see me? What does He want from me? Folks, the more I trust, the more I know Him. And the more I know Him, the more I trust. I'm becoming more like Him. And all I did was keep my eyes on His attitude of grace towards me. Hello? Amen. Woo! Okay, let's not be so stone-faced here. This is exciting stuff here. I'm telling you. How many of us have beaten ourselves over the head for the last 20 years as Christians? I've heard people say Christians are some of the most miserable people I've ever met. How sad. Why in the world would Christians be miserable? We should be rejoicing. Because we can't do a blame thing, but by faith and trust in Him, He is going to lead us by His grace and what He declares over us. He is transforming us as our eyes get on it. Oh, come on, come on, come on. Yes, hallelujah. We don't have to do this. We don't have to live that depressing life. Now, I'm not saying that we won't battle depression. Understand that, okay? You're looking at the chief of sinners when it comes to that. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is much of the time, much of the time, we put ourselves in positions that we could very easily, by getting our eyes back on His grace, not our sin, we could be transformed. Do you hear that? Does everybody hear that? There is no condemnation now in Christ Jesus. Does anybody take that for what it means? I'm going to say it one more time. Wayne, I haven't picked on you all morning. You have faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You believe that there is no more condemnation on you. Do you? Do you live that way? Okay. You see how I pressed him? Press yourself right now. Do I believe and live that there is no more condemnation on you? As I abide in Christ Jesus. Woo! Hello. Hello. That's why it says in Hebrews 12, it says, Cast off the weight, the sin, and the weight that so easily what? Snares us and tangles us. What a lot of that is, is our thoughts about ourselves and the condemnation of our sin. And God's like, oh, Run out the race that I have laid before you with your eyes fixed on Jesus. Who does Jesus represent? His grace. 
This is where we get a song like Cool in the Gang, Celebrating. Celebrate good times. Oh, we can't do that in church. No. Although I know that Clinton's got his finger on the button. One Sunday. One Sunday. Oh, I have to just shout this out and we're moving in. In fact, I'm going to invite our, uh, our servers to come on up here. We're going to partake in communion as we close here. But uh, I believe it was Monday night of revival. Such a spirit of joy knocked the place over. I have to give a shout-out to some of you folks that I didn't know could dance. God's good. Those of you who are worshiping in joy, God is good. The spirit of joy just moved, and it's going to continue to do so. Amen? Amen. So we're, we're going to just give thanks to the Lord right now for His grace and His mercy and uh, His attitude of grace towards us. Those of us who have said, yes, we put our faith and trust in You. Um, thank You, Lord, for Your attitude of grace. And it comes from um, what we're going to celebrate here right now. And it really is celebration. I know many of us get to very somber during this time, but it is an opportunity to celebrate and give thanks. How God, really this is how God views us. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you. you're good. And as we sit here right now, I just want you to let the Lord uh, minister to you as you worship Him. I want you to just let Him minister to you. I want you to think all that condemnation you continue to live under. And then I want you to give thanks to the attitude God has towards you. Those of us who have battled feeling like disappointments, those of us who have battled feeling like failures in God's eyes, just making Him angry all the time. Remember, His desire is not to stay angry with you. <laughs> His desire is not to be disappointed with you. His desire is to pour out of His tears. His love, His grace, His mercy. He already has. His way for us to receive that. Just receive that. Thank you, Lord, for your attitude of grace. Don't try to figure it out. I think we get ourselves in trouble. Just thank you, Lord. I mean, it's spoken so clearly on the cross. That was Jesus bearing your weight, the weight of your sin. about 
thing without His grace? Why would we avoid it? Why would we push it away? We can't do a thing without it. We can't be saved and we can't live the believer's life. We've got to take hold of His grace. Mm. Somebody needed to hear that today. Don't push it away. Receive it. Hallelujah. Took the loaf of bread it's on the table. All eyes broken. He said, "Guys, this is my body broken for you. Don't just know about it. <laughs> Don't just ponder on it. Don't just study it. Take it. Ingest it in my life. Make free." Thank you for your sacrifice. Let's take it. the fragrance after the rain. Let's just say that name again. Thank you, Lord. His name is Jesus. Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Let all heaven and earth proclaim. He kingdoms the Lord pass away there's something about that name oh praise you Jesus thank you Lord for just loving thank you thank you thank you for ministering the hearts today oh Satan you are such a darn liar I know, you know, in my spirit right now, I just sense that there's folks even sitting here today and say, no, Dave doesn't have a clue what I've done. There's no way that this applies. You know what, folks? Whatever happens in this life in terms of as a result of any particular 
heavy-duty sin or whatnot. That's this life. But I'm going to tell you what, eternity is a lot longer than this life. And and so what God desires to do in you has to do with a much longer period than just this life. And what He has desired to do is bring you underneath His blood, wash you whiter than snow, be justified in His sight, that you may be set free and walk with your eyes on His grace, (laughs) His attitude towards you, who He is, eyes focused on you, on Him. Running out the race. Jesus, we praise you. Minister, thank you. Praise you. Look forth in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow it around. He said, take this and drink. This is my blood poured out for you, spilled for you, given for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that when you looked upon this sinner, your attitude was one of grace and reconciliation and freedom. Thank you for bringing freedom to this prisoner. Let's take a drink. Oh, he's a good dad. He's a good Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, guys. Well, Lord, we gathered. We had church today. Amen. But it doesn't stop here. In fact, we'll just call this the getting ready for church all week. And then we come back and we gather together and encourage each other to get ready for church the next week. All that next week. Amen? So, being an Acts 29 church, right? Declaring who He is. Living what He has said and who He is in our own lives. That the world may see there really is something to Jesus. Amen? God, we give you praise. And we give you honor. In Jesus' name. Let's see that chorus one more time. Turn your eyes. Let's all stand. Jesus, 
Oh, 